Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tech and Beer. We're live again today from the Celtic Corner in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And today we're going to be talking about technology in sports, the future of technology in sports. And a super exciting topic, I'm passionate about both. And our guest today is a real expert. He works for one of the top companies in Atlantic Canada, if not North America, that's really making great inroads and strides in pushing this sector forward. It's uh, Kevin Forbes, who is Senior Product Strategist with right. Kinduct. Is that right? That's right, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Welcome to Tech and Beer, Kevin. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Cheers. Cheers. So, uh, let's have a sip of this beer here. It's a very, very hot day. Steamy. We've got some great weather here in Nova Scotia right now. Yeah, a little bit too much humidity. A little bit honest. too much humidity, yeah. yeah. So tell me about you. Tell me about your background. What's your... Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, I've been fortunate. I've been working in uh, sport and technology basically for the last uh, almost 15 years now. Um, prior to working with Conduct, uh, I worked for Sport Nova Scotia, which okay. is uh, the local uh, representation for amateur sport in the province. Uh, I, I handled pretty much anything to do with technology for there uh, for them, nice. and then uh, when we like uh, I heard about this this new company, so I heard about uh, um, Travis McDonough, who's our CEO, came and presented to us, um, and at that point in time it was really an idea, uh, and it was you know looking at a way looking at uh, information on athletes in a different way. Uh, right. So uh, a lot of things you know you think about what's being said about analytics, uh, and you know you think about the movie Moneyball or, or things like that. This is all tied back to the human body. So the idea of making uh, athletes healthier, making them more ready to play, making them, you know, able to perform at a higher level for longer, yeah. and uh, and that's uh, you know it was, became something that uh, I became very interested in, and was one of the first uh, first employees to join the company. And uh, here we are, uh, almost six years later, and uh, you know we we've done quite well for ourselves. I guess yeah, is the best real, way to real success story for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So. That, that was your kind of focus, your goal was to, to work with data and athletes and, and helping them. So who are the some of the companies that you work with that we might, or organizations that you work with that we might know of? Yeah, so um, we've been extremely fortunate uh, in, in the North American pro sport market. Um, so we, uh, we feel, or we do have industry leading position uh, across uh, you know, the, the four major uh, professional sport leagues. So that would be the NFL, uh, the NBA, Major League wow. Baseball and the NHL. Uh, so, in the, and in those cases, you know, we work with everyone from, uh, you know, obviously the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Boston Red Sox, uh, the LA Dodgers, yeah. uh, the San Francisco 49ers, uh, the Houston Rockets, the Washington Wizards. Uh, we've dealt with a number of very prominent brands uh, and very prominent uh, sporting organizations. Right. Yeah. And, and so, if you're a, if you're a farmer sports team. What do you give me? What? Why? Why are they working with you? Well, uh, I guess the biggest thing here is. Uh, We've been responding to a lot of kind of industry trends. So over the last little while, the same way that you know, you know, a number of us all have smartwatches now, or, or we all, you know, have a cell phone in our pocket that tells yeah. us how many steps we have today, have had every day. Um, we're seeing that in sport, but a lot more specialized. So there's this uh, this explosion of uh, data that's being monitored and tracked on an athlete, and so that can cover everything from you know how far and how fast they ran during a game yeah. through to you know how hard they worked during practice through to how many hours they slept at night what their heart right. rate was during any of these activities how much weight they lifted in the gym yeah. all of these different uh, activities are being tracked and monitored and so on uh, so for uh, you know the folks that are traditionally the trainers of, of an organization like the strength coaches or the ATs or or even you know getting into sports medicine and things mm. like that 
these folks are being asked to do a lot more. They're not just the ones that are, you know, watching to make sure the guy's lifting weight or, you know, kind of getting slapped by the towel as they right. walk through the dressing room. They're actually being asked to, you know, get a lot more involved in the science of things. And so uh, it's something that, uh, you know, has had happened earlier across Europe and in Australia with uh, the kind of the growth of the sports science industry. And it's now landed on, on the shores of North America quite a bit. Wow. Uh, so what we do is provide uh, these organizations the ability to uh, manage that information, yeah. uh, obviously look amongst it all to try to find insights that you know, cross these different uh, areas and then you know, take action on top of it. So you know, maybe that's building out strength and conditioning programming or rehabilitation interventions or yeah. you know, even just having a better conversation with maybe the athlete himself or other members of the team. Right. So it's really insights into the athlete's performance and, and uh, where they might be struggling but not even know they're struggling and where, where they might be excelling and, and helping them optimize the... That's right. I mean, uh, I know from just some of our conversations that you're a big motorsports fan. Right. So, I mean, if you think of a professional athlete as being a race car, I mean, yeah. these are the mechanics. Mm. And, uh, you know, the same way that, you know, a mechanic that happened, you know, 50 years ago was just somebody that, you know, <laughs> was putting in some oil or, you know, making right. sure the tires were inflated and stuff like that. Now for, you know, a Formula One car, there's computers, there's wind tunnels, there's all this yeah. specialized equipment around that car, making sure that car is to that, that, that tiniest peak yeah. of uh, performance. A professional athlete is no different. I mean, right. you see every day with competition, the injuries that you know could affect a team's playoff chances or you know means that, hey, a season is over potentially for a team if they lose a star player. Right. And, those are often the players that are at that, that, that precipice, that top level, yeah. because they're the ones that are being dependent on so much and are also you know, so talented. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned you know, Formula One there. I am a big F1 fan, and it, it, I feel like it's almost gone too far in F1. I mean, and obviously where you're talking about a machine being so dependent, uh, I mean, the athlete, the driver's a big part of it, but the machine's critical. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you get one team that gets a little edge, and that, you know, it can be a fraction of a second a lap quicker than everybody else, and the championship's almost over. Just that fraction of a second yep. of lap. Um, so you're telling me that the kind of minute gains that you can get in F1 can be achieved also in athletes? Uh, without a doubt. I mean, there's always going to be something that can never be measured. Right. Uh, you know, we want to call it heart, we want to call it grit, we want to right. call it, you know, anything like that. Um, there's the, the intangibles. Yeah. Uh, there's always going to be something that we're never going to be able to measure. But, you know, we are talking about people that are in their peak performance, their peak physical condition. And, uh, you know, I often, I often remember a conversation I had with a, uh, a director of performance for a, a hockey team. Uh, this was a few years ago now. And he was basically saying, hey, if I can remove every question from a player health and player readiness perspective, if I can, you know, remove the concerns that he didn't sleep well the night before, right. that he ate the right thing uh, today, that, you know, he's not stressed out because of, you know, his kids or his wife or travel or anything like that, you know, that he's not, uh, you know, tired or sore from the previous game, right. or if I can try to remove as many of those things as possible, many of those obstacles as possible, and I, you know, and make sure that he's 100% healthy, when yeah. he goes out to play, the only things that are going to impede him from having the best game of his life right. is obviously his own level of talent yeah. and the, the coach and the way that the coach utilizes that talent. Right. And so, I mean, that's the ideal. We'll never get to that. But, no. you know, that's kind of the ideal that we go with is, you know, it's, it's, it's always just a case, in this case, it's the competitive edge, right? Yeah. Everyone is looking for the same way in Formula One. Everyone's looking for that little bit extra. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I can have a player that is a little bit 
fresher in yeah. the third quarter or in the you know in the in overtime or anything like that then that might be enough that is you know in, in formula one that quarter or second right that might be that extra three-pointer or that extra goal yeah. or that extra you know push at the you know at the 10 yard line right and i think about you know you also talk about not being able to get all the way there like you can perhaps in an f1 car um you know some of my favorite players from from soccer or football uh they're those players that can just produce that little bit of magic that how can you quantify that right you can't um you, you can't take that away but maybe they don't work so hard so is there a danger here that you've got an athlete you know, just all this data coming into the game all these all these stats and analytics that you're using and you know, this guy doesn't quite work as hard as everybody else but guess what he has those that 30 seconds every game that changes everything and so, I mean, that's Are those players going to be eliminated, right? I, I don't think so, because I think that's like, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't, this isn't answers, right? right. It's a voice. Uh, you know, you think back, uh, the movie Moneyball. Uh, yeah. you know, great movie. Great movie. Uh, Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill. Uh, you think back to, to that movie, and it wasn't a case that they, every single thing that, you know, Jonah Hill came in with his little clipboard, and they, every single thing he said they did. It was more, it was a voice to the table. Right. And it's a different voice. And so, uh, you know, having a better feel of, uh, you know, who has it, who doesn't have it, or being able to quantify that a bit better yeah. is only going to help. I mean, to your point about maybe doesn't work as hard or doesn't move as fast or anything like that, there's a great idea in hockey um, that I know that they did some, even just some research with uh, Chris Pronger when he was with the Oilers and then with the Ducks around efficiency of movement. Mm. Pronger was a player that played, you know, 30 minutes upwards a night. And if he, if he was playing at say 100%, if he was at, you know, the red line all the time, yeah. he would have been gassed. And right. like, you know, that's the nature of the human body as yeah. fit as you want to be or anything like that from an endurance perspective. You need to know, like soccer is a perfect example. You need to know when you can push yeah. and know when you need to, you know, kind of hold some reserve. And so, but part of it is, hey, who can, who can recover quicker? I mean, right. you, you hear a lot about the, the 45 second shift in hockey. And, and so knowing that, okay, who are the guys that go out and can mm. go hard for 45 seconds? And if they're back on the bench for maybe 45 seconds or a minute and a half or whatever it looks like, maybe they're back to a you know, good 80% or something like that. Right. And, and that's going to lead them to being you know, more competitive longer in the game, both in terms of the individual game, over the slog of the season, or over yeah. the length of their career. And I that reminds me of you know one of the pivotal games or matches of my youth that growing up that I watched. I was a big I'm a big Italy fan, and they made the '94 World Cup final, and Roberto Baggio had basically dragged them to the mm -hmm. World Cup final himself, but he was injured. He should never have started the match in the World Cup final. He was totally ineffective. They, we had a, another great player, Zola, sat mm -hmm. on the bench that they didn't put on uh, because Baggio had taken yeah. him there. But if they had known that he was, you know, worn and they started the other guy and then maybe brought him on at the end when everyone else yeah. was kind of a bit worn down. I'm not saying it would have been different, but hey, it's, if they'd it's, had the data, it's maybe it would have exactly, helped them. Exactly, yeah. I mean, and, and that's, that's the biggest part. We always like to talk about what we do with teams as being, you know, a tool, it's a voice. It's not right. an answer, but it's, it's ways to be able to, hey, look at that evaluation and be like, hey, this guy, if he's playing at 60%, is he better than this guy over here at 90%? Right. And, you know, maybe that's as simple as it is. And that might affect how you're going to do your lineup. That might yeah. affect who you're going to sit and things like that. I mean, uh, basketball is a, a sport that, you know, I think if you're a basketball fan at all, it was, uh, you know, a big, it's been a big thing over the course of the seasons about, you know, teams strategically sitting players. I yeah. remember there was a, like a nationally televised game between the, uh, the Cavs 
and the Golden State Warriors. And on the Cavaliers side, I think they sat uh, they sat LeBron, and on the Golden States, they sat like Durant and uh, Clay Thompson or something yeah. like that. And so like it was like well, you know no like none of the guy like yeah. none of the stars that people would be tuning in to see were actually playing that game. Yeah. And of course they're saying, hey, from a standpoint like. We want to make sure we don't care about this game in you know the middle of the season. Yeah, it's it's against the opposing conference. It's not necessarily as impactful right. from a playoff perspective. We would rather have those guys ready to play in the playoffs when Strategic, we really need them. Long term yeah. play. Yeah. yeah, but you know part of that is some of those decisions right now are being made as just you know guesses. And yeah. uh, I remember talking to a team. This had been one of the first years that Golden State was you know really was taking off, and uh, it was very. Very famously, they, uh, they, Steve Kerr had, set, had, had sat down uh, some of his players as the season kind of came to an end. And I remember talking to one of the other teams that we work with, and just talking about that, and he was like, yeah. He's like, you know, it's, it's really easy to make those decisions right. when you're 19 games up off of everybody else. <laughs> so, like, you know, there, there is that level that needs to be kind of considered with this as well, but it is yeah. all, you know, again, uh, the same way that we're talking about, hey, that efficiency movement during a game, it's also during the slog of a season. Like, yeah. you know, in uh, hockey and basketball both, you're playing 82 games over the course mm. of 30 some weeks. Like, it's a lot. You're traveling, you know, coast to coast and back and forth, and yeah. you know, there's a lot to deal with. There's a lot of pressure that's going on that on that athlete, and uh, you know, that's where that you know that that race car is going to break down potentially. Right. And then, it, not saying that we can ever prevent the race car from breaking down, but it is also more of a case of what are we yeah. going to do when it does? Well, yeah, and if you can eliminate as many, like you said earlier, if you can eliminate as many of those errors and injuries and, and, and bits and pieces like that as possible, then yep. uh, you, know, you become more consistent and you also know the best, the best action to take when it does happen. Right? For sure, for sure. So let's talk about this beer a little bit. Yeah, we, we kind of sure. skipped that at the beginning. Uh, Spindrift Killick. It's great, man. This is a refreshing beer. It's, I mean, uh, yeah, it's super refreshing. It's... Um, did they, it's, it's not an IPA. What did they say? Pilsner. Pilsner. That's Pilsner, right. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Uh, mm. Yeah, it's definitely not bad for a, a warm summer day. A, a, a little lighter, very drinkable. Yeah. Um, just what you need today. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like, you know, I was kind of hoping we'd be out on the uh, the patio oh. or something like that. You know, yeah. Put the shades on. <laughs> sit back. I was gonna wear my shades just yeah. to kind of get the summer vibe going. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the lights are pretty hot. Yeah. That well, that and like Hawaiian shirt day. Yeah. Hawaiian shirt. That's that gonna be, be the next show. Next really. show. Yeah. If the weather's still yeah. going on, it's a Hawaiian shirt. Tune in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't tune in. Um, so yeah. So tell me a bit about. So you. You don't create the data, but you, you pull the data together. So tell me about the technology that you use and the technology that you integrate with. For um, sure. Um, kind of that's underpinning this, these, this great information that you can give back to the teams. Yeah, so in, uh, in basketball and, and football, uh, in both cases, uh, there are ways that players or player movement is being tracked during the game. So uh, it's done actually very different, uh, differently in both sports. Uh, and actually, it's also being done in, in, in baseball as well. So. Uh, in basketball, uh, the system is known as uh, its second spectrum. Uh, they're in a camera, computer vision camera system. Okay. And so what that means is in the rafters of every NBA arena, there are a number of cameras focused on the play. Uh, they track uh, the player, all the players on the court, and the ball, yeah. position of the ball multiple times a second. And wow. they turn that into XY coordinates. Um, what we do with that information is we generate off of that uh, values like uh, obviously very simple values uh, from a standpoint of like distance traveled, 
from that, obviously, you know the distance of the court. Court is uh, you know standard across the entire association, yeah. so you can get uh, information like accelerations. From that accelerations perspective, we can generate values uh, that are right. more of a load value that looks at the overall impact of hey he accelerated this many times and decelerated this many times yeah. at this different magnitudes and things like that. What was the kind of wear and tear? What was the load, the impact that that had on yeah. the athlete's body? Um, and then different things like that where you know that, hey, for particular teams, they have particular traits either uh, amongst themselves or against particular opponents. So knowing that, hey, this is a team that's going to make the opposing team run. Right. And then that gets into predictive analytics and being able to really start to dive in deeper and say, okay, this is over here, this is a team that, you know, we know going into this game, this team is going to pressure our players in this position more. Right. And so is there a way we can mitigate against that? Is there a way that we know that, hey, if we sit a player for, you know, maybe take him out early in the previous game, we, we can get a little bit more from him in this game and things like that. And so starting to get into that more, that, that planning scenario. Okay. Uh, in football, it's, it's quite a different story because the, the season is quite different. Uh, so right. you think in the NBA, you're playing maybe two, three, four times a week. Right. In football, you're really only playing once a week. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's traditionally Sunday. Sometimes it's Monday. Yeah. Every now and then Thursday. Sometimes there's like a Saturday <laughs> thrown in there. But like, you know. Sometimes I find the London. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, that, and that's a, that's a perfect example. So London, uh, sorry to go off on a little tangent here. <laughs> sorry. But, uh, the, the trip to London, uh, I think this year, I forget exactly who was playing, but one of the teams opted to go early, okay. travel early and get it acclimated and, and, and basically be there and be ready to play. One of the other teams was like, you know what, we're, I think they were like looking at it from, we're an East Coast team, this is when the game is, if we right. fly, if we're essentially still on the East Coast clock, we feel we might have an advantage. And yeah. so we're going to fly right before the, like essentially we're going to fly like the day before or something wow. like that. And, uh, and this is like the worst antidote ever, ever because... I don't actually know what the outcome was on this, but <laughs> I do know that both teams had like a different strategy. Different strategy. And, and, and yeah. now I actually, it, it slips my mind on, on who actually kind of yeah. came out ahead there. But, uh, it, you know, those are the types of things that, you know, you start to make decisions based off of, hey, you know, should we, you know, like sleep gets involved in that. There's uh, yeah. you know, a number of people that are you know, kind of more sleep scientists in this and they're doing consulting on, you know, when players should sleep, when they should be ready, the whole concept of a pregame nap, all those different right. things how to reset your clock if you're going from the west to the east versus the east to the west. Yeah. Uh, all, these, all these different factors you know, start to accumulate a lot of data. So, yeah. um, But sorry, to back up, in football, the player tracking solution, it's actually RFID tags that oh, are implanted okay. in the shoulder pads of every NFL player. And so every NFL stadium has these giant receivers. Uh, they're uh, put in place wow. by a company named Zebra. Uh, who also do things like inventory management right. and things I like that. Right, I know Zebra. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so, um, they, in, in addition to tracking inventory, they track NFL players. Wow, why not? Yeah, and, yeah. and so one of the things was they, you know, GPS was a difficult one to do uh, from, uh, I think, your, at GPS, your, your radius still is a couple yeah. feet. Um, RFID is a lot smaller. Um, and then... Uh, Teams now are utilizing that where they can also, they can wire up their practice field. And so then they can look and be like, okay, this is how we practice during the week. Right. And then this is how we played and be able to kind of start looking at, okay, how we practice versus how we played and start to utilize yeah. that to you know, obviously put together more efficient practice strategies, put together, you know, prepare for the games in different ways, things like that, and start to look, look at what the results are, which is yeah. very fascinating. So. Interesting. Yeah. I find it fascinating that, you know, different 
I, I guess it only makes sense, but different sports use different technologies to, to track their players and, and uh, essentially get the same information. Yeah, you know? well, and each one is very much fit for the, uh, the sport itself. Mm. I mean, going back to the GPS error range, I mean, football's commonly known, hey, it's a game of inches, right? Yeah. Um, if you have an error range of a couple of feet, that's actually, you know, yeah. substantial. Yeah. And Information's just not... Yeah, if you're a yeah. lineman or something like that, you might only be moving like you know yeah. a little bit each. But how do you kind of you need to be able to quantify that in some way, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So when you when you look at the technology and sports and the industry as a whole, obviously you guys are doing great work. But what other strides and technologies out there excite you? What interests you? And maybe um, it's stuff that you guys are going to get into in the future, but. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, there's a few things, even just stuff that we've been talking about uh, at the office. Um, and, like, I don't know if it's ever something we'd be getting into, but uh, if you haven't looked at it before, CBC did this amazing app um, during the Olympics, okay. uh, VR app. And uh, it was uh, you know, just a little mobile app that they did. Yeah. But they did the, uh, the, the, the VR cameras at different events. And so if you've got like, you know, the, the cardboard or anything like that, if any of the VR viewers, you can actually kind of slip the headset on and look around like you're sitting at wow. the event and, and watch, you know, watch freestyle ski from, right. you know, a vantage point or two or three vantage points down the, down the field or down the, the hill. Yeah. And, you know, the same with like curling or anything like that. And you know, like that to me, uh, I mean, obviously one of the main reasons why I started working for Conduct in the first yeah. place is because I'm such a, you know, I'm, I'm a sports junkie. I love it. You know, mm. even, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like I, my wife gets kind of upset with me at times <laughs> because I feel like even when I'm at home, I'm still reading about sports. Right. Or like, you know, trying to you know, find out new things and, and things like that, uh, even especially on the analytics side of things. But uh, that sort of idea of being able to, regardless of where the event is, all of a sudden being able to you know, watch the event like you're there. I think that's going to change. You know, if they can start that's to figure out how they, you know, how they handle broadcast. But mm. you know, there's nothing like live sports. None. There is nothing like live sports. But you know, not everyone can afford to go everywhere, and not everyone can, uh, you know, can get into, you know, see the stadium. Only got so many seats, or right? the Super so. Bowl, or anything like that. But you know, all of a sudden, you know, if you can maybe, you know, drop a few extra dollars and have some headsets and watch the Super Bowl like you have one of the best seats in the in the, right. the stadium like I don't know I would say I would do it it would Absolutely. be amazing to do I never even thought of that that's, yeah. that's phenomenal yeah and so that's, that's awesome. something that like you know it's, again I don't know if I don't even know how we would ever you know get right. involved with that from a technology perspective but for me personally yeah as a sports fan like you know that's something that I, I, I think is going to happen in the near future right. that's just going to change the way that you know we interact with sports right. as a whole and you think of the from a business perspective, the revenue that that could potentially drive for, oh, for teams. For sure. I mean, they already make hundreds and hundreds of millions, if not billions, yeah. from TV revenues. Um, that's, that's really if cool. you're sacrificing maybe one seat in your arena or stadium, yeah. but that one seat is also being you know, rented out digitally by thousands of yeah, people yeah. for you know, a, a nominal amount, you're going to make that money back a tenfold. Well, how, how many people watch the Super Bowl? Exactly. Yeah. And right. then how many people, you know, are fanatic enough that they watch the Super They don't just watch the Super Bowl, but they also watch the NFL Combine and they also watch right. all of the NFL draft coverage, including the actual draft and like all those yeah. different things. Just get those people. Yeah. And like that's going to make your money back right there, right? A absolutely. Yeah. And then the other side that's more tied to the work that we do is uh, now that all this information is being collected on athletes, mm. uh, the athletes themselves are becoming a lot more informed. 
Right. So there's a lot more conversation around who owns the data, where that data is going. I mean, you know, I think you guys had uh, some folks on uh, Travis Barlow on talking right. about data security and things yeah. like that. And obviously, after you know, things like what happened with Facebook and so on, um, that leads to a lot more questions. Who, you know, where is my data going? Who is seeing it? You know, and yeah. and the value on that data. I mean, it's. It's one thing, and you know, not to get too deep into the privacy conversation, but it's one thing for you know, information like you and I to be out there in terms of, hey, this is how many steps I took today and things like that. Yeah. But if you're, you know, if you're LeBron James, you're a business. Just, just because it's that name yeah. beside it, that that data intrinsically has a lot more value, and more people are going to be interested into it. Right, and I mean, and yeah, and he's he's a business, and he, that does he own the data? Does his team own the data? Uh, you know, just if he if he does plays the with the, the team, yeah. yeah, who owns the data who and owns what the data happens after to that he leaves? Data? Right. Yeah. I mean, and that brings up the question: You look at like uh, cycling. Yep. The Tour de France has just finished, and there's a lot of controversy right now with some of the suspicions around previous winners yep. and, and people that have uh, uh, cheated in the past. <laughs> and that Team Sky, who just won the Tour de France with with their second yeah. rider, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, he just won the Tour de France. Yeah. But uh, Chris Froome uh, released all his data as he was winning the last yeah, major the, tour. Whoop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because there were so many questions, yeah. right? But potentially in other sports, like would you want to release the data? Like Again, maybe as a cyclist where it's dependent on the athlete a lot, you can't kind of replicate it, but maybe, hey, these guys are releasing their data, I can pick out his weak spot. Well, this I mean, guy's not good at that. And part of it is uh, a lot of it now goes back to just overall like familiarity with mm. it uh, in terms of who is like what is this information being used for I mean I think right. initially there's the apprehension that hey this is information that's going to be used to decide my next contract or this yeah. is information that's going to be used to decide whether you're going to keep me or cut me like those types of things um, and a lot of it needs to be explained better to the athlete and that's yeah. where you know we've been working a lot with teams to try to you know present ways that we can explain that information better so that you can then get player buy-in on things, like so that you know this is actually used, we're trying to prolong your career, we're trying to make you more healthy, we're trying to make yeah. sure that you can compete at a higher level. And ideally that becomes a win-win for both the, uh, the team as well as the athlete. And if the data is not secure, potentially it could impact things like match fixing, gambling. For sure. For sure. There's already sure challenges yeah. around that. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Fascinating. What a, thank you for coming on the show. It's been, um, it's been a place. I feel like we could talk about this for like more than one episode. We need to have you back, I think. And, for sure. And, no, and I'd, go I'd, deeper lo- I'd into love this topic. to come back. Yeah, for yeah, sure. That, I'll, that, I'll bring the Hawaiian shirts. You bring the beer. It'll absolute. be great. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks very much. It's been a great episode. Uh, we've got a couple of interesting things we just want to tell you about. Uh, a couple of prize draws we're going to do. We've got a T-shirt, a uh, Tech and Beer T-shirt that we're going to be giving away. We've got a t-shirt from Kinduck that they're kindly donating that we're gonna be giving away. And we've got a Bluetooth speaker. And if you want a chance to win that, uh, tag your most competitive friends. So use our posts on Facebook, on LinkedIn, YouTube, and tag your friends of the most competitive and you'll be entered into a draw. Simple as that. So yeah, thanks very much guys. It's been a great episode. See you next time.